Well, good morning and Happy New Year. It's good to see all of you. All of you, you braved the ice and the snow and you're here today. Isn't it great to be able to come into this place and begin the year worshiping the Lord together and hearing from his word? It's awesome. And I just want to thank you for for joining us uh, this morning. And as you may have seen, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. So if you want to make your way there, that's where we'll spend the bulk of our time this morning. But as we're focusing in on um, the new year, 2022, there's some things that we may want to think about um, as we look forward and do maybe a personal inventory of our walk with Jesus Christ, what that is looking like, how we would like for it to look in the upcoming year, and maybe some things that we would hope to see adjusted or some commitments made. I'm not sure where you're at on all that, but that's really kind of the thought behind this morning. And my heart's desire is that we could recognize the position that we have in Christ and be able to actually see that more realized in the upcoming year. When Jesus was on this planet, he had a a sermon that's been famously named the Sermon on the Mount. And in the midst of that sermon, chapter 6 of Matthew, he begins addressing the topic of worry. We can identify with that. And he narrows in on the things that we worry about as the basic essentials of life, like food, clothing, um, shelter. And uh, as he's focusing in on those things, in verses 25 through uh, 33, three times he says, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. He also, in that passage of scripture, three times tells us why not to worry. The first reason is because you have a heavenly father. This heavenly father knows you. He cares for you just as or more so than the birds or the flowers of the field. But the second reason why not to worry is because of your faith. You have faith in the father. You you have a faith in the one who can take care of it all, that loves you, that can care for you. So it's because of your faith in him. And the third reason why not to worry is because you have a future. He's talking about an eternal kingdom. He's got it all covered from eternity past, and he's reminding, reminding them, don't, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will come, but I'm talking about an eternity, so don't worry because you have a heavenly Father that loves you and cares for you. You have a faith in him, and also there is a future that he has in store for you. But he not only told them not to worry, not only told them, Um, why not to worry, but he told them how not to worry. And that's when you narrow in on verse 33 where he says, Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things that you're worried about will be added unto you. I want to illustrate that with these jars here. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul, he's addressing the church and he's talking about how to possess their body how to care for their body, how to steward their body well, their physical body. And he says this, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. When he wrote to Timothy, he talked about having an honorable life and how you can possess your body, your life, in a way that brings honor to God. He says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, He will be a vessel for honorable use, 
set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Do we not want to see God use us that way? Do we not want to be vessels of honor that can be used to bring glory to God? Well, vessel is what these jars really are. They're containers. And, and Sean, if you could come on up here. I have a friend of mine that's going to help us out for just a few moments. But it's transparent. It's also fragile. These walnuts, what they're going to represent are the things that God would have in our lives first. This rice represents the things that, that we need or that we want. And the whole point that Jesus is making when he says, seek ye first, it's really an order of priorities. Allow me to be first in your life, and I'll bring everything in. So, Sean, if you could count out those walnuts and, and just let us know how many are there. And I'm going to tell you how many there are, but he's, he's, the, like, he's the bean counter to make sure that I'm, we're, you know, I'm telling the truth here. So inside this jar right here are 22 walnuts. And there are two cups of rice in here as well. And it all fits. It all fits really because of the order in which it goes in. You get the walnuts in first. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then the rice in second. He adds it in. But if we were to reverse that order, it's not going to work. So Sean, how many walnuts were there there? 22. 22. We're good to go. All right. So he's going to go ahead and put in two cups of rice. That represents all these things, these things that we worry about, the things that we need, the things that need to fit into our lives so that we're really in a situation where this fragile vessel is not a shattered vessel, to where this transparent vessel is able to contain the things that God wants in our lives and also providing the things that he wants for our lives. All right, Sean, did it fit? Looks like it did. Give it up for Sean. Good job, Sean. Now we'll do this in reverse order. So when a, when a person comes into this world as a vessel, a human being, uh, there's also things that he or she needs. So they begin to seek out those things. I need a job. I need to provide for my family. I need relationships. I need people. I need to go to work. I need to learn. All this stuff. I, I just want to place to pillow my head at night and so all those things I'm just going to pour into my life but but with these two cups of rice there's something missing what's missing is everything that's between here and here and that's a life that is incomplete so what that life needs is that life needs God needs Jesus Christ to come into their to their life and so we we call upon God and say come into my life save me I want to be your child but as we begin to try to apply some of those things as Sean is putting the other 22 walnuts into that jar, we begin to run out of space. It's not fair. Well, well, Sean, did you start with the big ones first? Or yes, did you? Yes, I did. You did? Okay. Do you think maybe if you reorganize those, those would fit? No? Do you have another plan? Oh! <laughs> That's the man plan right there. We're just going to make it work. You, what, what do you think would happen if we just went ahead and started you know, pounding with that hammer? Front row? Okay. <laughs> Give it up for Sean. Thanks, Sean, for helping us out. So obviously they don't all fit. And if we were to try to make these fit, we're going to cause some problems. And, and this, this is really kind of the beginning works of, of a follower 
they've called upon the Lord and they want to live an obedient life, but things are kind of out of order here. And so in the course of life, there's what, this is redemption. He's redeemed us. We're now his child. We're full, but overflowing in, in a way that's stressful. If we were to try to force these in there, try to do it in our own strength and our own power, we're going to cause a lot of stress on ourselves, others, and perhaps even there's going to be some self-inflicted damage. But there's also, in addition to that, there's the pressures of life. There's the course of this world. There's the enemy attacking and mocking and making fun of, of what would be a life that doesn't seem to be all together. So how do we deal with that? Well, what I want to do is I want to take the next few moments and take us to a very familiar, common to us passage of Scripture and to look back a little bit and walk us through from the beginning of when we are on this planet as a lost person, become a follower of Jesus Christ, and allow him to do a work in us and through us to where our lives are settled in a more complete place. Understanding that it will take a lifetime, but there are some, some things that you and I could do to help that process along in how we respond to the Word of God and prayer and also suffering in our lives. So the central point that is in front of us this morning is that we live out our position in Christ when we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's the how. So in Ephesians chapter 2, what Paul is doing is he's reflecting and teaching this church what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ personally and also as a church. So chapter 1, he lays out what our possessions are in Christ. When we come to him, we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We're in union with Jesus Christ. We have a future with Jesus Christ that's eternal. These spiritual blessings that are in front of us and that we've already been positioned into exist the moment we come to Christ. But how do we realize our position when we still live in this body and we're still on this planet and we still have an arch enemy, Satan, and we also have our own fleshly desires that now are combating with what we want to see happening in our lives, the things of God. So, we'll go backwards. That is, first of all, if you're taking notes today, the past. We see sin's work against us. Sin was working against us from the very beginning when we entered into this world. So Paul's going to give a full description of the terrible spiritual condition of the unsaved person, our past. Now, if you're sitting in this room or you're watching online and you have not yet enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, then this is your present. It's going to be described in maybe a way that feels real transparent, but painful perhaps. The first thing that he says about that description is that he is dead. That was my past. I was dead. And of course, what he's referring to is a spiritual deadness. Chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead to God, spiritually separated, not in a coma, not sleeping, not in need of being resuscitated, but in need of being resurrected. Totally separated. I remember as a lost person, as a person that didn't know God, it was something for somebody else. 
The things of God seem foreign to me. The gospel seemed like foolishness to me. Why would God do that? Does that really work that way? And, and there's just an insensitivity. Why? Because I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I did not yet have a relationship with God. As Kevin was talking earlier about communion. And why not to take communion? Because you don't have that relationship yet. Just dead. The second characteristic that he uh, talks about is that this person is disobedient. And um, in Romans 6, 23, we read that for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And in James chapter 2, 26, for as the body is apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And then in Isaiah 59, 2, we read, but, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. So he does not hear. There's not a relationship there. He, you are not his child yet. That was my past. It was the past of many of you in this room. But also in my past, I was disobedient. He is a disobedient person. He is wired for disobedient. He is born disobedient. He's just wired to disobey any authority, and especially God, consciously or unconsciously. We read this in verses 2 and 3. In which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Disobedient. This disobedient, disobedience has three uh, motivating forces that helps us to be disobedient in our past. And they also try to cause us to be disobedient even in our present. Those three enemies are, number one, the world, the course of this world. It's the system of this world. It's where lies are, where deceit is, where the lie, the, 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 the enemy, who's the, the second part uh, of the forces that works against uh, God and causes us to be a, a disobedient, is Satan. World, flesh, and the devil. So the God of this world runs the course of this world and appeals to the flesh or the mind. So whatever's out there, he says, buy into it. You can have it. Go for it. It's yours. And so the, the natural born man without Christ is dead, doesn't know the word of God, doesn't have a relationship with God that can give us a, a resurrected power living, just falls a victim to that. That's my past. I did what the world told me to do. I believe what the world told me, world told me to believe. And this arch enemy just fed me a bunch of lies to where I continued to believe it. And it gave me what I wanted. And when the gospel or the truth or whatever was coming, I didn't want anything to do with holy life, holy living. I don't want that. That sounds boring. That sounds unappealing. Because it was unappealing because my appetites were being fed by the world, the flesh, and the devil. One of Satan's greatest tools is to lie. Um, and when we disobey God, Psalm 51.5 tells us that, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin, uh, and in sin my mother conceived me. 
And then Satan as a liar in John 8, 44, uh, he basically is described as the liar. You're of your father the devil, as Jesus was talking about the false teachers who were teachers, but they didn't know Jesus. He says, you are of your father the devil. Did you catch in Ephesians where you followed after the course of this world? You followed after. You followed after Satan. And your will is to do your father's desires. That was my past. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Dead in my trespasses and sins. But also, I was doomed. In verse 3, we also uh, can see that carrying out the desires of the body and mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I was on the other side of God. I was on the underside of his wrath. Wrath is going to be poured out on sin and sinners. That was me. Lost in my sin. God was going to pour out his wrath and judge my sin to be separated from him for an eternity in hell. That was my past. But there's hope. Because of where this goes next is but God. So the shift goes from the sinner to God. But God, what a difference those two words make. It goes to the present. My current present and your present, if you know Jesus Christ and are a follower of him, the present is God's work for us. He did a work that we couldn't do for ourselves. See, a person who is dead cannot revive himself. He needs an outside source, and only God could be that outside source that could generate new life. And how did he do that? We see that in the same passage. First, he did it by his own motivation of love. He loved us. In verse uh, 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. That was his motivation, and that is his very character. Because God himself is love. In 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. We can ask the question, Where did matter come from? Where did this world come from? Where did the stars come from? Well, I have a question for you. Where did love come from? Love came from him. How could you make something that of no, it came from him? Why? Because he is, and he is love. And his love came, and he was motivated by love, and it showed up in mercy and grace. 1 John 4, 8, or or Romans 5, 8, tells us, but God, who shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He was motivated by love, but by mercy and grace, he died for us. He paid the price for our sins so that we don't have to pay the price for our sins. He rose again victorious over sin and death, proving that he was God, is seated at the right hand of the Father, for by grace we are saved through faith. So then he moves into quickening us. That's where the passage goes next. In verse 5, he quickens us. That means to be made alive. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, quickened, made alive. 
The seed of the glorious gospel was planted in our hearts. He germinates that and it brings forth new life by the work of his spirit, by the proclamation of his word, the truth, contrary to the lies that a person's been hearing and living all of his life, of her life, and respond in saving faith. The spirit of God quickens them and gives them brand new life. That becomes the present. That is a wonderful thing. How does that happen? It simply happens through believing, hearing the word of God and believing. In the four gospels, it's recorded that Jesus raised three people from the dead, the widow's son, Jairus' daughter, and Lazarus. In each of those, he spoke the word and it gave life. They were resurrected. The word of God is quick and powerful, Hebrews 12 or Hebrews 4.12 tells us. These three physical resurrections illustrate for us our spiritual resurrection. So, it's incredibly amazing that he brings us into a relationship with him in this union. He made us alive together with Christ so that we can share in his resurrection life and power. Have power over this as this begins to happen. The question that many believers have is, how is it that I could actually assimilate the kind of life that God wants me to have? Well, he is, in Philippians 1, he has begun this work in you and he will perform it. It isn't so much about what we do. It's more about how we yield and how we obey to what he is doing in us because that's where it moves to. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But something else that happened with our salvation, coming to Christ, is that he exalted us. He exalted us. He gave us this high position. We see this in verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have a seat there in the heavenlies. When Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God in his righteousness... We're seated there. And that's where our affection is. That's where our mind is. That's where our heart is. That's where our longing is. Because we've been transformed. So he has already given us this high position. And we are united in Christ. So how do we live the position on this planet, on this earth, in tandem with the possession that we have in the heavenlies? That's the question. It's much like with Lazarus that he's been called out of that grave and he has to remove those grave clothes to have a right fellowship with God. I love this passage of scripture. When Jesus calls him out, says, take those grave clothes off and what happens is they immediately move into fellowship. Check it out in John 12, 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. They had dinner. They had fellowship. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. I love that beautiful picture. That pictures us when we have a spiritual resurrection, we come into Christ, now we get to fellowship with Christ. It's not stressful. It's restful. 
It's the burden that's lifted in fellowship with Jesus Christ. That exalted position is a wonderful place to find rest. He also keeps us. We see this in verses 7 through 9. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable. Oh, I read that kind of fast. So that in the coming ages, decades, centuries, millennials, eternity. Huh. So that in the eternal future he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by, grace, <laughs> for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a, not a result of works so that no one may boast. That's his work for us. And so he keeps us. He exalted us and we see that he keeps us. And it's an eternal keeping and it's for the purpose of his glory. So our ultimate purpose in our salvation, though it's a redemption, we're, we're brought into union with Christ, he is continuing a work as he keeps us to do his work in us and through us. So our salvation is the gift of God. It is a gift, not a reward. It is a finished work because of him. So now we move to the privilege. Here is our privilege. Now we're privileged, privileged to have God's work continue in us. He's going to move these into here while he's supplying everything else that's needed. Will we trust him along the way to do that? So when we came into Christ, came to Christ, we're a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In Philippians chapter 2, verse uh, 13, we read this. For it is God who works in you both to do his will, or both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of a duh. When, When you are shaping something and you're making something and and if, if, if your imagination allowed you to see yourself as being a, a master painter or master artist, and as you make that and you see that masterful work, it gives you a good pleasure to see that. That's him with you. It gives him good pleasure to do that good work in you. So he finished that redemptive work. He died. He rose again. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, but he's doing an unfinished work of equipping and completing you, the church, so that we can do the work that he's called us to do and so that we can walk the walk that he's called us to walk. What a privilege. He has three tools that he uses to do that. First, the Word of God. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, we read this. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, of course of the world, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work 
in you believers. So he accomplishes it by working in you through his word. And the second thing is prayer. When we fellowship with God in prayer, he's hearing our heart. We're, we're letting him know how we're doing, how we're feeling, what we need. And so much can be said about the value of prayer. But through prayer, he's doing a work in us. While we're confessing, he's doing a work. While we're asking, he's doing a work. While we're acknowledging and praising him for what he's done, he's doing a work. He's doing a work in us. And then the third tool that he uses is suffering. The testing of our faith. Um, when we're going through the course of life, and we're learning that a lot of these things that we've done, good things, necessary things, we've done it in our own strength, and in our own control, in our own power. We've kind of been our own God. And as he teaches us how to let go of some of those things, it could be relational, it could be vocational, it could be insecurities of, of what we don't like about ourselves. And we begin to let go and, and allow him to just settle himself more and more inside of us. That can often be very painful, hurtful. And we're learning how to let go and let God. We're coming to the place where we're saying, you know, I finally realized that God wanted me to let go of that. It hurt, but I had to trust him in it. So he uses the word of God, he uses prayer, he uses suffering. After Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he said, loose him, let him go. In other words, this man is now alive, let him out of the grave clothes. <laughs> let him go with this new life that he has with me. So that same resurrection power has saved, that has saved you and took you out of the graveyard of sin can help you live the life with Christ to the point where we are more and more so glorifying him. That is why it's so important to be in his word daily. It is so important to have a constant time, focused times and random times throughout the day of prayer. And that's why it is so important that we learn how to trust God during times of suffering rather than fight him in it. God spent 40 years in the life of Moses getting him ready for what he, how he wanted to use him. God used Joseph and, and he took him through 13 years of suffering before he put him in the position to where he was going to accomplish his greatest work through him. David was anointed as king when he was a youth, but he did not gain the throne until, I had, until he had suffered many years in exile. The apostle Paul, when he came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, he went out to Arabia. He was out there for three years where God was doing an incredible work in him to prepare him for a great work through him. So that moves us from the privilege to the plan. The plan. God's work through us. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's a prepared plan. It's a prepared path. It's a prepared equipping. When you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, he deposits in you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit begins to illuminate to you to where you can understand the word of God 
and he becomes your primary teacher as you're now reading his word. The Holy Spirit brings comfort. The Holy Spirit brings peace. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. You become more hypersensitive to sin so that when sin invades and comes towards your life, the Holy Spirit is like an alarm that says, you don't want that. Avoid that. Convict of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. But also when the Holy Spirit is deposited into your life, that Holy Spirit is also empowering you to demonstrate the gift that's deposited into your life. It's called spiritual gifts. And so God has gifted you spiritually to do some things through you, to edify the body, to do the work of the mission of reaching people for Christ in your community, in your family, and in the world. So we are equipped to do a work. Uh, he has equipped us to do a work through us, through his spirit, and also through uh, the Holy Spirit. But it's all for good works. Before we knew Christ, these were works of the flesh. Though they were good to us, they were, um, as those works were, as Isaiah talks about, uh, they are, um, they're like filthy rags, but they don't merit salvation. So we now, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we seek to perform good works to glorify God rather than ourselves. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So God wants to accomplish a great work through us. And be encouraged. As soon as we come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, the day that we become a follower, he's already doing a work in us. He's already doing a work through us. But throughout the course of life, as he's continuing to conform us to the image of his son, he's empowering us to do more and more so where we become more and more to where we look like Christ. More and more is a sanctifying work that he's doing. We're becoming more and more separated to the work that he wants to do through us. So David was doing great works even prior to, but especially when he was um, living a sanctified life and so on with Moses and so on. But these are fragile, vulnerable, imperfect vessels that he's doing that through as we can see with all of the biblical examples, including with us. So be encouraged. These, so there's a, while I was studying this and just spending some time thinking about what we'd be talking about today, found myself in the book of Romans. And he was talking about this, this good work that he wants to do and how he is preparing us for the work he wants to do with in us tomorrow while he's using us today. That preparing of a vessel, it was just so cool to me when I saw all the correlating words in this one verse in Romans 9.23. I want to show it to you. In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy that we've received which he has prepared beforehand the path we will walk and step through for glory, his glory. Puts it all together. But it's the only time that that word vessel is used that way in the book of Romans. 
It's an amazing thing that God in his grace and his mercy would see fit that a sinful creation who starts off defying God, consciously or unconsciously, would be the recipient of his great love, quicken us, give us a seat in the heavenlies, and while we're on this planet, say, I'm not finished with you yet. Trust me while I work or do a work in you so I can do a work through you. So what I want to do to close out our time together is do a little inventory. Ask you to do a little inventory. The first is this. What work are you experiencing? Is sin working against you because you have not yet trusted Christ? That's your, if that's your present, I say trust him now. Call upon him and say, God, I am a sinner. I'm like dead <laughs> to you. I need to be revived. I am a sinner and save me. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Take me as your child. I want to be yours. Call upon him by faith. I trust that the payment that you made on that cross is sufficient to pay for my sins. And he will save you. And you will enter into a new relationship with Jesus Christ. But if your present is that you know him and you have a relationship with him, the question I have for you is this. Have you experienced his work for you, in you, and through you? Are you enjoying the liberty that you have in Christ? Or are you still bound by the habits of the old life in the graveyard of sin? Too much of this. As a Christian... Be reminded that you have been raised and seated on the throne. And I want to encourage you to go to, uh, not right now, but to look with me at Colossians chapter 3. And then on your own time, meditate on the full chapter of Colossians chapter 3. But check this out. If then you have been raised with Christ, people, seek the things that are above. In other words, have affection for the things that are above where you're seated. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things on this earth, the course of this world. For you have died to that old life, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for loving us and demonstrating your love and mercy and grace, rescuing us from our dead condition, reviving us, exalting us, giving us a position and keeping us in that, doing a work in us, doing a work through us, and giving us this wonderful life that we get to live representing you as your ambassadors. I pray that the people of Grace Point Church would live, as we live going forward in this next year, that we would live a life that says, I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that he will take care of all these other things. I pray that that would be our testimony this upcoming year. I pray and ask these things. In your name, amen.
You guys, thanks for being here today. Next week, we begin a whole new series called Horizon. And when you arrive at this place, you're going to be handed a booklet that's going to represent the whole series. And I believe it's going to be a landmark season for Grace Point Church. You all have a great day, and thanks for braving the weather. Take care now.